walking in a country road And I've been chasing after my shadow Welcome to the Camino Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dave Whitson. This is episode 14. And we're going to talk about family today. Not the figurative Camino family, but your very literal one. Would you walk with your mom, with your dad, with your brother, your sister, your husband, or your wife... Imagine for a minute what that would be like. Does it bring a smile to your face? Or does it terrify you? It seems to be getting more and more popular. On this podcast, I've already spoken with a number of people who walked with family members. Landon with his brother, as he wrote about in On the Primitive Way. Jack Hitt walked with his daughters. This is not uncommon. I'm sure if you've walked, you can reflect on families and siblings and parents with children, husbands and wives who who you walked with. This episode came about almost entirely by accident. I just happened to have three straight conversations scheduled with people who happened to walk with family members. One of those interviews will come up in a different episode, but the other two are featured here. I realized that there was something to this that was worth spending some time on. First, we'll hear from Capitan Bradley. You may know him from his contributions to the APOC forum. And his daughter, Brianna Hill, they'll talk about their experience walking the Camino Frances together. I interviewed them separately, and you'll hear their responses woven together. After that, I'm joined by Bob and Cindy Clee, a husband and wife Camino duo, who also walked the Camino Frances last year. I interviewed them together. So the big question is, is walking with family a good idea? Stay tuned. A few quick announcements before we jump into things. First, if you spend any time in Camino forums online, you've probably seen a lot of comments on the high pilgrim numbers, maybe even record-setting numbers, on the Camino Frances this year. For those walking this summer, I strongly encourage you to consider reserving beds a day or two in advance in private albergues when this is possible. Some would find this opinion heretical, arguing that it compromises the spontaneity and flexibility that are central to the experience. You should certainly consider that perspective. I would offer that this approach can actually help protect and preserve that spontaneity. When you don't have a bed, you may feel compelled to wake early, walk quickly, and stop early in order to guarantee yourself a spot. You might even find yourself resenting the pilgrim's competition uh, for beds, and that can damage the experience. If you reserve a bed, however, you can sleep a bit later, linger over coffee, think about making that one-kilometer detour to check out something cool, And maybe even take a short nap under a shady tree. That's my kind of spontaneity. Second, if you have listened to earlier episodes of the podcast, you must recall the episode focused on Phil's Camino, in which Annie O'Neill and Phil Volker shared Phil's story about creating his own pilgrimage in his backyard when health prevented him from going to Spain, and then his eventual journey on the Camino in Spain. At the time, Annie's documentary on Phil's experience, Phil's Camino, was still being finalized. It's now making the festival circuit. If you're in the area, check it out on the following dates. And these dates are all coming up in June. June 2nd, there's a screening at the South Bay Film Festival. June 4th and 6th, there are screenings at the San Francisco Dock Fest. June 11 and 12, there are two screenings at Dead Center Film Festival in Oklahoma City. June 23rd, the film will be screened at Nantucket Film Festival. And two days later, June 5th, it'll be at the AFI Film Festival in Washington, D.C. So lots of opportunities to check out a genuinely moving and inspiring film, and I hope you get a chance to do that. Finally, I want you to know that I've set up a Facebook page for the Camino Podcast easy to find. It's just facebook.com slash Camino Podcast. 
I want to make it easier for people to track new episodes, comment, maybe even connect with other listeners. So please check it out. And with all of that said, let's get going with episode 14, Walking with Family. Thanks as always for listening. My name is Capitan Bradley, as a lot of people would recognize on, online, but um, live here in the South in Tennessee, and my um, two daughters are, are grown, have two little boys, and um, yeah, my oldest daughter invited me to join her on the Camino, and it was something that was brand new to me, and I had to be a, a quick student on what are, what are we getting ourselves into. Hi, I'm Brianna Hill. I am from Memphis, Tennessee. Let's start with a little bit of context. When and where did you and your daughter walk on the Camino? It was last July, July of 2015, mm-hmm. and um, we had a window of time, and we did not do what one would call the, the full Camino Francais, but uh, we started, uh, based on my research, I just decided it would be best for us to start in Lyon. It only took 13 days to um, walk between Lyon and Santiago de Compostela, and that's kind of what we mapped out. You know, having never done anything quite like this, uh, I was invited by Brianna to join her after she graduated with her master's. And this would be a celebration and father-daughter time and maybe a religious experience. And But that wasn't even on my mind. I didn't even think about the the pilgrimage aspect of it mm-hmm. until I dug into the books and the research and, and found that this was, you know, had quite the history. So how did the two of you, you and your dad, Brianna, arrive at the decision to walk the Camino together? So I had studied abroad in Spain when I was in college. Uh, At last, well, I guess now two years ago, I was getting my master's and was just getting really stir crazy. (laughs) And so I was talking to my dad and just happened to mention the idea of the Camino, which Mm -hmm. had been in the back of my mind for a very long time after I had studied abroad. And I kind of, he started asking me questions about it, and I went more into detail and explained kind of what I knew about how it worked. And he, we were sitting at the kitchen table, and he was like, okay, let's go. (laughs) And that was Thanksgiving, maybe, of 2014. Mm-hmm. And then by like February, we had plane tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any concerns about walking with your daughter? Uh, concerns um, for her comfort, her <laughs> safety. Um, you know, she's 20 something years old at the time and she's graduated with her master's. She put herself through college. She's earned full rides. She's brilliant. She's gregarious. She. She happens to uh, have spent time in Sevilla. The people of Spain, the food, the the simplicity of of life. Um, you know, from the town. I love the small towns, the bigger towns. Leon, I loved it for one night, and, and its little historic quarter with all the tapas everywhere. That, that was fabulous. Uh, but Astorga, you know, it was fine for lunch, but I didn't want to stay there. It was too big, and it's like fifteen thousand people. But the small towns were amazing. So as far as Brianna goes, where can we be each night where she's comfortable um, and and we're both comfortable and maybe even where she could nap in private, where she could rest, where she could recharge, where we could get a decent meal, um, pilgrim meal or otherwise, uh, where we could commune with others and then maybe stray from the pack and go get a nice something and so we did it a little differently we didn't do the albergues uh, but a couple a couple of nights um, that we had to um, and they were private we didn't stay in one single municipal albergue because of me I just didn't feel like we would be comfortable um, with you know that many people in such a tight space and then the the bed bug issues and all this. And just, there's just a lot of things that kind of piled up and then competing for beds. I didn't want to do that. And she was a constant translator. She could talk to anybody in fluent Spanish. I would use keywords and people kind of knew what I was saying. And, and, and it was, it was just amazing. And it was super affordable for us to stay in. You know, it wasn't a pilgrim budget by any stretch. So this is not a purist story but it's ours and we were comfortable and for a couple thousand euros we had a magical three weeks 
Why why did you want to walk with your dad? He was the only one that would go with me. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, well, he was probably the only one crazy enough to go with me. But also, um, I knew that dad had kind of had a, a rough couple of years. And I, when I mentioned it to him, I didn't think he would want to go, honestly. Hmm. Um, but he just like, was so excited about the idea of it and I kind of had a feeling that it would be really good for him to get mm -hmm. out of Knoxville and get out of Tennessee and just be something completely different than he had ever seen before. Mm. Uh, but like more selfishly, I really just wanted to go and I thought it'd be cool to do it with my dad too. <laughs> I'm interested in the basic mechanics of the walk. Did, you know, things like, you know, did one of you do the planning and the other one follow? Did you walk together all the time or most of the time? Did you eat dinner together all the time? Like, how did you, how did you shake out the mechanics of the trip? Well, I, you know, we love each other unbelievably, unconditionally. We love each other to death. <laughs> but you spend, it doesn't matter if you're married or son, you know, son and daughter, father, daughter, whatever, um, uh, it, you're going to wear each other out at some point. So um, we walked together, but separate a lot. Mm -hmm. We talked a lot, but then we separated, and then we met up with others, as as you know. Mm -hmm. You've done this. so, And it was always a different crowd. And then all of a sudden, there's that crowd you see every day that you caught up with. We were very fast walkers and hikers. Cause we, I do this all the time, and she's very fit. Uh, she never does this kind of thing. I mean, rare hikes, but I walk almost every day and, and I'm, but I'm middle-aged, but I, evidently I was super fast because people commented on <laughs> the fact that, that I would pass them on a frequent basis, but we would run into the same Spaniard group of Spaniard women that were so delightful or the, or the fellow from France who came all the way from the extreme, uh, Eastern side of France from his home and he was a joy. He was multilingual, and he was a joy to catch up with when we were in La Fava or these small mountain towns and, and just have a cerveza and just chat. And mm -hmm. his little broken English was fantastic. So, yeah, we would catch up, um, We, but we would, for the most part, stay within sight of each other mm -hmm. um, because that I felt like that was important. But in July, there's a lot of people out there. And, yep. and so there, there was no concern, you know, it was... Denise's tragedy in, in April of that year, and everybody's still thinking about that. It was all over the Camino. It was all over. Um, yet she had not been discovered, I don't think, at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so Astorga was still turned inside out about that. And so, you know, we would see young girls that were with their dads. I mean, like teen, early teens that were like by themselves, but dad was way ahead or way behind. I was like, oh, gee. <laughs> but we ne we never separated to that extent, and and there's just people were plentiful on on that route, and and so, but we just like made these temporary friends and, and uh, consistently, and then there were little kids with the mom, uh, mm -hmm. a, a newly single mom with her three kids, and they were doing the segment for the fourth of five years. <laughs> uh, they would do a segment a year for five years, and. They were just delightful. Every it was like our family reunion. Every time we saw them, we mm -hmm. caught up, or they caught up with us. It was like, ah! <laughs> everybody, everybody went nuts, and I have videos, and so yeah. And I did the planning. I mean, and and, and that was probably pretty tedious for her. She didn't like me whipping out the John Briarly guide every day, <laughs> um, but I have to know where are we headed? Mm -hmm. How tough is this going to be? Uh, our, our knees going to be in good shape. We both have want to make sure we don't get injured along the way. And then when we get there and, and even along the way, where are we going to go to the bathroom? Where are we going to get a snack? You know, if you get, I can go all day without eating, but she has to have kind of regular snacks. And, mm -hmm. and so we would take breaks, rest our knees, rest our feet, uh, cool them off and then move on. But, and, and then the other thing was this guide recommends, you know, these towns that I wouldn't recommend as mm. the terminus and the, as the launch. And the, I learned really fast. I don't like the recommendation. I want to go one town short or one town long. Mm -hmm. 
of his recommendations because they're so much more fun and the people and the people appreciate you so much more that you stopped there. You were just passing through to get to that scene that that guy said you're supposed to get to. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we passed through the larger stopping points and starting points, but, but his information was invaluable to tell me that that little vegetarian, um, um, what is it, D'Arte, uh, Casa D'Arte in, in La Faba, not the municipal that's down the hill, but go to the little vegetarian one that's <laughs> up there. He didn't, he didn't recommend it. He just, like off the cuff, said it's there. Yep. But when we stopped there, and then they told us about the menu, and we saw the little eight-room, eight-bed side room mm-hmm. that was basically exposed to the elements. It's got eight bunks. And I was like, okay. And it was, I don't know, it was like six or eight, eight euros each, something like that. Mm-hmm. And the meal was nine. <laughs> and these were just, they seemed like a bunch of hippies in a commune. And I loved it. It was just like, <laughs> this is so far from anything I've ever done. Any business travel, any family vacations, this is so off our grid. Mm-hmm. And I love it. <laughs> and it was a, it was a magical dinner with fun people. They were all young and energetic and, and, yeah, I was the old fart of the bunch, and and yeah, they had fresh fruit drinks, and the meal was fabulous, and it was all vegetarian, and I'm not even a vegetarian, and I loved it. <laughs> Did you have any concerns about walking with your dad? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like what? Well, my, well, my dad and I are very similar. Mm-hmm. So I know that like we can, we're both very like hard-headed, and so I knew that that had a potential to, you know, be challenging but also just like dad had never really been out of the country before he'd been to the caribbean i think a couple of times mm-hmm. and he didn't speak the language so i knew that a lot of the translating responsibility was going to be on me mm-hmm. and like neither of us really knew what we were getting into even though dad researched a ton more than i did <laughs> we still weren't really sure what to expect Mm-hmm. And so I was just super nervous about how all of those things would kind of coalesce into that situation. Um, but I mean, I talked to my, uh, like a day or two before we left, I talked to my stepmom about it and she totally understood and was like, it's going to be okay. I've talked to him. You're going to be <laughs> fine. <laughs> okay, thanks. What did you learn about your daughter on your Camino? You know, not a lot more than I already knew. I mean, having <laughs> having uh, had her around and, and loved her for some, you know, twenty something years, and 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 then going through all kinds of ups and downs that, that we've had as as a family, just fabulous things happen, and a few tragedies, and, and just uh, all kinds of things. I mean, you. You learn a lot about each other, mm-hmm. and I have r- written a couple of books that that detail the the man of a certain age experience. You know the mm-hmm. the past as well as where I am present now. I'm working on the future one now, but about finding peace and the Camino is part of it. And and I think she found a sense of peace just having me to herself, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not probably two of the most religious people, although we were raised, um, both of us raised Baptist and, and a very religious kind of intense Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, you know, maybe not showing up three days a week at church, but every Sunday morning and going through all that ritual and routine. Um, but she pulled away from the church a few years ago, but found another urban church where she is and, and has, has been going through her travels there and I pulled away years ago and let my wife and boys go to church without me for the last few years because I just got bored and tired of the same conversations and the same dressing up of the same all that so Brianna and I shared that just oh my gosh it just seems so monotonous as far as the religious experience in America goes and and the Catholic experience of course is one where you go every single day or at least if you're a good Catholic, you go to Mass every day, I guess. Um, and uh, that that just doesn't, I just don't understand that anymore, and it doesn't fit my life. And then I go there, 
and I think God spoke in a different way. And not only just the, the architecture, the, 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 just the history of everything. I think she and I both were amazed and inspired by people, places, and things, nouns, you know, the nouns of Spain. <laughs> and, and again, how simple people live. And I know it's not Madrid, it's not Barcelona, it's, it's not even Sevilla, it's the north of Spain, and, and, and there's, of course, several other routes you can take where it's similar in its rural thing. And even Santiago, Santiago is this big, massive metropolis, and all of a sudden you get to the beautiful part, you know. Um, but Santiago was just a, an amazing place to spend two or three days and absorb the the history, the architecture, and, and again, the people who made it, mm-hmm. and the people who served the people who made it. And, and um, But I didn't even bother going into the cathedral. This is another weird thing. Whoa. I didn't bother going into the cathedral. And and she did. She went into the cathedral because I was just like, oh my gosh, it's like going to church again. Why would I do that? And I know it's sacrilege. I realize that. <laughs> and and I absolutely regretted it when I came home. Uh, after I learned more, read more, after read more books and and watched more movies and videos and such. And I think she had a tear a teary experience there without me mm-hmm. while I went and had some tapas somewhere and, <laughs> and Vina and Vina Tinto. <laughs> yeah. So I stunk in that way, as far as the dad goes and the pilgrim goes, but, and we, we have our compostelas and, and all of that, but it was just like, why do I want to go into a crowded church? And it looks a lot like the church we go to here and watch the thing swing. I've seen it on television. So why? <laughs> oh, <laughs> and so, yet, yet again, I know. And if you knew me, uh, well, you would know how weird I am that way, or, or what a contrarian, I guess. And I've never been to Europe in my life. Mm. So it took 47 years to get there, and it took my daughter to motivate me. This didn't take as much resources, and it was, like I said, it was a magical thing that I can't wait to get back mm. to Western Euro- Europe and and do a different path and, and maybe take another loved one or two. And maybe go in the cathedral at the end. Uh, I won't miss it the next time. <laughs> no, I, 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 I highly recommend it. I, I do. It's my biggest regret, my, yeah. by far my biggest regret of, of, um, of my Camino that I was so arrogant mm. to say, you know, well, it's just like going to church, you mm. know. What did you learn about your dad on your Camino together? I learned a lot, actually. My, so I didn't grow up living with my dad. I grew up living with my mom, and I would visit him every week, every other week mm-hmm. on the weekend. Um, and so, like, when I was with him, it was just all about, you know, what are you doing in school? Let's go do this fun thing. Let's spend time <laughs> together. And so I didn't, I knew about my dad's childhood and knew about like his relationship with my mom and stuff like that. But I, and you know, when I was really little with Ginny and all that, and but I didn't know in depth and a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. And of course on the Camino, you have a lot of time to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just, I learned a ton about who he was as a younger person um, and kind of like his journey as a human being and like how a lot of factors played into where he ended up when I suggested going on the Camino. Mm. Um, I also learned that he is a very verbal processor. <laughs> and so, and I am not. <laughs> and so he would just be like thinking out loud to me first thing in the morning and I would just be like, Dad, can we please wait until I get my coffee, please? <laughs> um, that's that's funny. Did you did, did you guys have to work out some some uh, like a terms of agreement, some 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 operating principles to get along on the trail? Well, because we are so similar, mm-hmm. I, we never really actually talked about uh, like terms of agreement, yep. but like. If I was grumpy or in a bad mood, <laughs> dad would recognize that, but not really say anything about it. 
but he would just either start walking ahead of me or I would walk ahead of him and he would kind of let me, you know, do my thing and calm down <laughs> and get in a better mood. Um, yeah. You just walk it off. Yeah, I w- we would we would walk separately sometimes, and that would be enough. Or like as soon as we stopped walking for the day, I would be like, "All right, I'm taking a nap. I'll see you in a couple hours," and then everything would be better. <laughs> the naps fix everything. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, he was super patient with me because I'm sure you know the Camino is you just like process through everything that's going on in your life, and at that point, a lot was going on in my life, so. Not only was I trying to deal with all my mental crap going on, Mm -hmm. I was also trying to, like, make this a great experience for my dad, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so sometimes I would just be like, nope, I'm not not talking right now. (laughs) (laughs) Leaving that regret behind and turning back to the positive, do you have a defining moment from the trip, something that stands out in your time together with Brianna in Spain? Just no, it's like it's like a bunch of moments where she just lights up, and I'm sure I had my moments where I would light up with each other, mm-hmm. uh, just laughing. She has a I call it a Julia Roberts laugh. She has a laugh <laughs> that's like a cackle laugh that sounds so much like Julia Roberts. It's ridiculous, but yeah, those magical moments of just the two of us experiencing something we would never experience in America, not in a, a million years. Mm. That, on a day-to-day basis, uh, I just fell in love with the the people in the country. And again, I know it's just a sliver of the country, Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, they really go out of their way to just live their life and at the same time do whatever they can to make um, pilgrims or, or outsiders feel welcome. Do you have a defining moment from the trip? something that stands out in your time with your dad together in Spain? Um, so I think there's two, really. Mm-hmm. Um, the first night we were actually in Spain, we stayed in Leon, and we hadn't walked at all or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I took him out to a tapas and beer and all of that. And he just could not get over <laughs> kind of the culture around tapas and... Like, there's an entire, what did it, what was it called? I, it was called Hamon Hamon. There was, like, one restaurant called, mm-hmm. a bar called Hamon Hamon. And um, just, like, thought that was the greatest name and thought it was the coolest place. And I'm pretty sure I talked about it for the rest of the trip. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then a few days into the walk, I can't remember what town we were in, but we stopped and we had kind of, mashed up paths with a German woman and a man from South Africa. Mm-hmm. And this man from South Africa and dad were kind of kindred spirits in that they were kind of in this middle-aged area and weren't feeling, I guess, super fulfilled in what they were doing and all that. Um, and so they, like, really bonded immediately. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting at dinner... And Dad and Lauren had, I don't know if I'm allowed to use his name, sorry, sure. um, had, you know, a significant amount of alcohol. <laughs> and I have never, my father is a very large man, mm-hmm. and so I've never really, like, seen him intoxicated in any form. <laughs> he's seen me intoxicated a lot, but he's, I've never seen him that way. And him and Lawrence were just going back and forth telling all these stories. And Lawrence told the South African version of Little Red Riding Hood, mm-hmm. which is, like, super vulgar. <laughs> <laughs> and Dad was crying tears <laughs> and, like, made me film it. Lawrence telling the story again, only with my dad as kind of, like, his straight man. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was sitting there being like, I'm never going to have another moment like this. Like, this is the pinnacle of, like, all things that I want in my father-daughter relationship. <laughs> what advice do you have for parents who are considering making the Camino with one of their children? What what should they think about or what do they need to know? 
Well, I thought about that ever since, you know, walking with the kids <laughs> and, and what a joy they were and, and how they wouldn't complain, at least not to us. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they complained to mom. On frequent <laughs> but it, the biggest point I think is you got to know your kids. I mean, I, I wouldn't in a heartbeat take uh, these two dudes I have here at 10 and 12. There's no way. I would take them on the Camino. I, I know them too well. They don't have the temperament, the stamina. The they live. They're they're spoiled here with a comfortable thing every day. The food's always in the fridge. What they want's always around. So you better know your kids, and and they they should probably be older. Mm. Um, if you live in Europe, if you're listening to this and live in Europe, and you're like the kids from Barcelona, then they're hardier, and I guess just tougher to, to take this on and they geared up, they had the right equipment, they had the right footwear and, and the right attitude. And if you have, you know, American kids or, or Western kids that have that right attitude that go to, I can do, you know, 15, 20 K a day, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, then you, your accommodations have to fit too. You have to be comfortable in your bunks at your municipal albergue or or something nicer whatever fits your budget and and timelines but brianna again just graduating with her master she's 20 uh 23 23 at the time um and so yeah and she still struggled i mean there's shin splints and there are things that happen she we searched out a pharmacy at one one point um in Soria, i believe uh, because her leg was giving her a problem. And then when we saw what the waiting room looked like, she toughed it out and we kept going. <laughs> so, yeah, you better know your kids. and, and But it's a joy. And, and husbands and wives, I don't know how that works. But you, if you know each other well enough, then you know. You, you also have to just understand this is not, there are options out there. It's not something where I don't think suffering is required. Last question. What advice do you have for daughters or children thinking about walking with their parents? Um, I would say, first of all, listen. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the biggest thing that I took away from all of this, that I listen to dad, sometimes willingly, sometimes unwillingly, but I <laughs> learned so much about him and um, just about our family, and I don't know. It kind of explained a lot of why I am the way I am when he was talking about himself. Hmm. Um, so that would be my biggest thing is, like, don't take that time for granted. Um, it's a beautiful gift to have that, mm-hmm. and I can't think of anything that I could possibly do with him that would be better than what we did in Spain. Um, and I think the other thing I would say would be have patience because <laughs> you spend a lot of time together. You kind of get on each other's nerves sometimes, but like the one thing that I'm so thankful for, for my dad is when I was acting like a brat early in the morning, he like wouldn't get mad at me for it. He would just be like, all right, we're going to keep walking. We're just going to put one foot in front of the other and we're going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Brianna, thanks for sharing part of your story with me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for being interested. I feel like we're not that special. Although people (laughs) were surprised that a father and daughter were walking together. And they were even more surprised that it was my idea, not his. talking with Bob and Cindy Clee from Indianapolis, Indiana, who have uh, joined with me to talk about walking the Camino as a married couple. So Bob and Cindy, thanks very much for coming on. You're welcome. welcome. So I know that you were both on the Camino together last October. So maybe we could start with a little background. What inspired your decision to walk the Camino and just sort of what got the two of you into this idea? Well, you know, in some ways you might say that they always say your Camino starts at your home. Mm -hmm. And for me, you might say that my uh, Camino began almost uh, 40 years ago. Um, I was an undergraduate at a small liberal arts college in Indiana. And one of my professors, a Spanish professor, 
asked me had I ever considered uh, studying abroad for a semester in Spain. Mm-hmm. And I really had not any background on that. And the more I thought about it, I thought, that, well, what a terrific experience that would be. And uh, he told me, well, if you doubled up in a couple Spanish courses, you'd probably have enough fluency uh, to go ahead and go abroad spring semester my uh, junior year, which is 1978. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, you know, growing up in a large family in, in Indiana, um, I had never been on a plane, <laughs> a boat, a train, a subway, and so for me, this was this huge life-changing experience, and yeah. so um, I went ahead and I said, absolutely, that's that's what I want to do, and um, so I flew over uh, initially to Paris and then went in, into uh, to Valencia, Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, two other uh, classmates and I live with a Spanish widow, uh, Una Beuda, <laughs> and she cooked our meals, she cleaned our room, was just a wonderful uh, person with us, would make us sandwiches when we went on picnics. And that entire semester was just, my eyes were just open wide, and I just did everything I could to absorb just everything about Spain. You know, mm-hmm. the first time I had calamares and paella, <laughs> tortilla española, buddies and I we went to a bullfight together. We mm-hmm. went to the San Fermin, uh, not San Fermin, but Las Fayas, mm-hmm. and Semana Santa in Sevilla, just just had a wonderful experience. And then, of course, the class side of it was to learn all about the language, the culture, the history. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was just my first entree into Spain, and I just loved every second of it. And then I decided that uh, after I went on to uh, graduate school to get an MBA, I decided, you know, I'm going to take a three-month break before I start my professional career and go back to Europe. So I got the backpack, went to Europe for three months, and spent two of those three months um, in Spain. And part of that time, I traveled with uh, a brother. We went to Pamplona and, and just had a great time. Mm-hmm. But then then my professional career developed, and back in the mid-'90s, there was an opportunity for my wife and I and our three children to actually relocate to Geneva, Switzerland. Wow! Um, and the proximity to Spain—it's—it's not—it's like a day's drive. Mm-hmm. And so every winter vacation, I said, "Guess where we're going on vacation?" <laughs> and it was always to Spain. And our kids were young; they were enthusiastic, and that was the first time that we learned and stayed in the Spanish paradors. Mm-hmm. And so we would actually plan our winter vacation by traveling to Parador to Parador. Just had a, uh, wow. a wonderful experience. Uh, and then we eventually relocated uh, back to Indianapolis in 1998. And then uh, two of my jobs uh, professionally required me to travel to Spain from time to time. And then as I started to think ahead uh, to, to my retirement, I thought, wouldn't it be great, just like I traveled to Spain <laughs> when I was a student, wouldn't be a great uh, kind of bookend to go back to Spain and in some capacity after I retired. And I remember one Sunday afternoon, I was watching, I always liked these international shows. Mm-hmm. I was watching a show, one of Rick Steves' uh, show, and it was sure. featured, the uh, Camino. And I just said, Cindy, that's it. That's <laughs> what I'm going to do. That's why I'm going to Spain. And then she said, uh, well, um, you're not going by yourself. You know, I'll, you can tell the story. <laughs> I just didn't want him to go by himself because it looked kind of rugged and, you know, who knows someone's, what could happen. <laughs> someone's got to watch out for him, right? That's right. That's right. right. So and, and a nice feature of that also was um, I, we had traveled a lot into the middle and southern part of Spain, like Andalusia, Barcelona. Sure. But neither one of us had been up to northern Spain before. And so um, that kind of set things in motion. I retired at the end of 2014, and then we took our Camino. It was uh, October of 2015. That's awesome. So your your life in a lot of ways has been linked with Spain, and, and your retirement then brings you to this this last part of the country that you haven't yet visited. You bet. That's awesome. So I'm you've, you've already touched on the fact that you, you very quickly decided on walking the Camino together as a couple. And I'm curious about the process of of walking the Camino as a married couple. So 
prior to departure, after that moment, you're watching Rick Steves, you very quickly come to the understanding that you're going to do it. Did either of you have concerns about how you would navigate this experience together? Well, we did. And basically, we had four concerns. And I'll kind of give a brief overview of what that is, and then we'll kind of each speak to them in a little more detail. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, we had some pre-trip concerns was, you know, were we prepared in terms of being physically fit enough to hike the 500 miles, and did we have the right gear? Mm-hmm. Second of all, we had firm flight dates, two and from Madrid, <laughs> and actually one from Santiago. Mm-hmm. So it was essential that we keep our timing right, you know, no matter what happened, so that we would get our flights and get to where we need to go. Mm-hmm. The third concern was how we'd keep in touch with our family. And the last one was how we'd cope with the lack of privacy, I guess you want to call it, and sure. the snoring in the albergue. <laughs> <laughs> So as we t- we tackle each one of those and uh, uh, dive in, in, into a bit more detail, the preparation um, to, to, to us were two things. Number one, were we fit? And then secondly, did we have the right gear? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in terms of um, fitness, um, both of us are regular exercisers. We have both a treadmill and an elliptical down our basement. Mm-hmm. And I used to get up for my job at you know, 4.15 in the morning and do a 30-minute workout before I went into uh, the office. Good for you, and, man. And uh, <laughs> so we would regularly work out for 30 minutes, uh, alternating back and forth on two different pieces of equipment. And we just had this intuitive feeling that we were going to be, uh, that we were going to be fit enough to do that. So we did not put on the loaded backpack and hike mm-hmm. around the neighborhood or hike mountains. We said, we ought to be good for that. Um, and, and, and we pretty much were. I think even on the steepest climbs, we felt that you know we were in pretty good shape. Um, in in terms of the equipment, um, you know, thanks to Briarley's book and a lot of other books I read, and then also the Camino Forum, I was just like a sponge in terms of okay, do we want a staff or do we want trekking poles? Mm-hmm. What kind of head torch should we get? Uh, what sort of, you know, with the pros and cons of a poncho versus a Gore-Tex rain jacket. And so we really uh, assembled our kit or gear for over uh, probably a couple years. Mm-hmm. And I would say, uh, with one exception, when we got over there, we, we were just ready to go. And we felt that we were well prepared from from a gear standpoint. The only exception was... Um, Cindy, even though she bought a brand new pair of Bosque shoes, hiking boots, and and broke them in, uh, she experienced blisters and then later some pain, which we'll talk about a little bit uh, other. But overall, I felt we were both physically fit as well as had the right gear for the Camino. I got to ask, did you have matching backpacks? Kind of. They didn't. They weren't the same color. They were okay. the same brand. Right. <laughs> I always love it when. <laughs> I love it when the married couples or the couples have matching backpacks. It, it brightens oh, my day. Same brand, slightly <laughs> different models, and also we've got different color Gore-Tex rain jackets. All right. <laughs> um, as far as the second um, concern was keeping on track having our mm-hmm. reservations and things that we needed. We had certain goals that we had to hit every day. Mm-hmm. Um, after about seven days of hiking, I started to develop pain in one heel. I thought I had tendonitis at first, but it turned out to be a stress fracture. <laughs> and then I also ended up with a stress fracture in my knee. Whoa. And so I started noticing the pain when we were in Lagrano, and it kept increasing over the next several days to the point on day 16 when we were walking all day in the rain, to um, carry on de las condes, it became increasingly difficult for me to walk to the point that I was way behind Bob and several people kept coming up to me. I think they thought I was alone (laughs) and they wanted to know if I needed help. Mm. So when we reached the albergue, there was an older gentleman that, I don't know, he's in his 70s and he said to me, look, I had knee problems the first time I did this. You really need to call Jacotron, which is the transport system Mm -hmm. for your backpacks. And so we did this, and it allowed me to, to keep hiking just with a day pack, and it took the stress off of, you know, what, off of what were my stress fractures, mm-hmm. I guess. No, you walked more than half the Camino with a, with a stress fracture in your knee. 
Yeah, I did. And I didn't know I had that. I mean, I thought I thought it was like tendonitis or I'd pulled something. And Bob also got a swelling in his ankle about the same time as I did. And we we, did, we weren't sure exactly what was causing it, but his eventually went down, whereas hmm. mine didn't. So. Wow. But we just decided to kind of alter our course a little bit, and we hiked shorter distances for several days. And then when we got to Leon, we took a rest day. And then Bob sat down and he mapped out the hiking plan for the remainder of the Camino just so that we knew we would get to Santiago on Halloween, which was our target date. But that was a great, it, it, was, it was a great relief for us because we were both concerned that with her pain that, you know, was she going to need to stop? But by sending her pack ahead um, every day, um, it just really made it possible for her to con- continue with our Camino. Mm-hmm. I was slow, but... <laughs> Did you did you have an understanding going in about, you know, how often you would walk together and when you would walk apart? Like, how did you manage that particular issue? The, the funny thing is when we walk our dog in the neighborhood, Cindy will walk more at, at a brisker pace than I. <laughs> and I just, Indiana can be hot and humid and I just don't like to sweat. And so I'd always be slowing her down. Well, we got on the Camino and it was just the opposite. It just like I was not quite a jackrabbit, um, but I think that just my normal pace probably was faster. And then when she started to have pain, I'd, I'd say that the, the plan that we evolved to is if I got ahead, I would always try to stay within visual distance, and then I'd stop her to catch up with us. And so it was like back and forth uh, most of the way like that. Well, gotcha. we saw a lot of married couples that were like that. The husband was ahead, and sometimes he <laughs> didn't stop till the next town. So I was glad that Bob did. (laughs) I think the other thing that we wanted to make sure is that we kept in in touch, um, you know, with family and friends. Mm -hmm. Cindy's both her parents uh, are are still um, alive. Uh, We've got three adult children, and we had a whole cadre of of friends. And so we wanted to find a simple way to to keep in touch with them. And actually, it, it worked out pretty well. Again, a lot of good advice on the Camino Forum um, about, and we were told Wi-Fi is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so um, we got an international plan for Cindy's iPhone, and she was able to take you know, lots of photos every day, upload them uh, mm-hmm. to Facebook. And then um, I uh, had a cell phone BlackBerry, and every night I could just go ahead and type out a message and send that to a group list. And so it, it was really pretty easy for us to provide um, almost blog updates to keep people informed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is with the international calling plan um, for Cindy's phone, that turned out to be a lifesaver because when we started to send her pack ahead, we had to call Jockotrons mm-hmm. every afternoon, pick up you know her bag <laughs> and send it to the next town. And then we also would would call ahead and to maybe a private albergue and say that we need to re- make reservations and by the way a, a bag will be coming um you know later that uh, the next day. Mhm. It's great. And as far as the albergues go, um I've never stayed in a hostel before and went to Spain. <laughs> and so I had a lot of apprehension. I wasn't sure what it was going to be like other than, you know, communal living like you have in college. And um we were we had heard, you know, that the albergues generally had a lot of bunk beds in one room and that there could be a lot of snoring at night and so it would be difficult to sleep and that there were shared bathrooms, sometimes gender assigned, sometimes not, and there's a general lack of privacy. Mm-hmm. So, um, but and I got used to it a lot quicker than I thought I would. You kind of lose all sense of modesty when you see women walking around in their underwear and stuff in in these rooms. And there were some times, I mean, I might be in a room with eight or ten beds, and I was the only woman in there. Mm -hmm. And we all had to share, you know, one bathroom, one shower, whatever. Earplugs helped with the snoring sometimes, but a lot of times it couldn't drown it out because you'd have several people. <laughs> World-class so, snores, we'd call them. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, we get a good night's sleep. Sometimes maybe not so much. But mm-hmm. being a couple, was the nice thing was you'd walk into some of these places or you'd have reserved at a private place, and they would automatically put us in a private room with wow. two beds. We, we made a point of telling whenever we checked in the albergue, uh, this is my wife, we are a married couple, and in a couple cases, I know in Astorga, in the municipal, she, she actually gave us 
one single room with one bunk bed, just, I think, because we were married. It's really nice. Yeah. yeah. So great. they were very accommodating. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So we were talking about some of the concerns that you had going in, but I, I wonder if we could flip to the, the other end of things. And, you know, what, what ultimately did you love about making the pilgrimage together? What was great about making this uh, trek as a married couple? Well, we've been married for over 33 years, and this was, this was the most time that we've spent continuously together ever in our wow. lives. And so every experience we had, good, bad, ugly, whatever, <laughs> were shared, you know. And so that part was really nice. It was nice to share something, you know, with another person on the Camino like that rather mm-hmm. than walking by yourself. And we really enjoyed, we stop about every couple hours and take some breaks along the Camino to eat fruit or olives, cheese, whatever. And after we checked into the albergue at the end of the day, we loved the free time in the towns and villages where we'd walk around and, you know, see what was there. We could go to a bar and sit down and have a glass of wine Mm -hmm. and just generally relax. And we also were able to look out for each other, you know, especially on the roads when we were walking on the roads in the traffic. Mm-hmm. for just safety and it was always really good to have two sets of eyes to find the way markings rather than one although um we're both practicing practicing catholics and so we brought a rosary with us and we prayed the rosary several times along the way but one time <laughs> i have to say both sets of eyes didn't work because we got <laughs> lost because we were so engrossed in what we were doing we didn't find the arrow so we went about three kilometers out of our way <laughs> I think in changing our relationship, the one thing I would say is um, I was so well connected to Spain. I I was going to do this, and then Cindy said, I'll go with you. And then when she started experiencing pain and so on, I I really felt uh, she she was doing this for me. She was doing this for us. And so Mm -hmm. it was really uh, probably one of the best experiences I've had in my life, the fact that we we could walk that together. And, in fact, the day before we walked into Santiago was her birthday. So it was it was really <laughs> special for both of us. I would say it made our relationship even stronger just from all those experiences that we shared. So Wow, that's great. Do you have any advice for other couples as they plan their shared pilgrimage? Any anything that you would advise them to do or not do? Well, it's really good to do what we did is to become familiar with the Camino in advance. There's a lot of good books and forums and we just embrace the the concept that it's our Camino and try not to feel any pressure in terms of our daily routine, you know, and timing. We kept saying it's not a race, even though at times it can feel that way with mm-hmm. people on the Camino that walk really <laughs> fast and they're always passing you up or you have bicycles or whatever. You know, you just have to feel like it's it's whatever you want to do and mm-hmm. take your time. It's not, you know, you're going to get to your end point at some point, so... That's great. To make a very abrupt shift in focus, um, Bob, you mentioned paradors earlier, and I have zero experience with paradors, but I'm fascinated by them. And I know that you you said that you used to travel specifically from parador to parador. So um, for those unfamiliar with Spain's paradors, could you briefly describe what they are? What's the concept? bad. You know, one of the things that struck me when I studied there in 1978 was how rich in history Spain is. And when you look to the, uh, you know, the Moors occupying Spain for 700 years, this meshing of all these different faiths and religions, uh, the holy wars, the fact that you've got a castle on every hilltop and so on, um, there's just this uh, treasure trove of of buildings throughout the country mm-hmm. and so um the whole spanish parador system was actually established uh by king alfonso the 13th in 1928 and mm-hmm. i think there was recognition at the time that um how can we preserve these national monuments and so at that point in time they started converting these historic buildings into uh you know, four- and five-star hotels. And so whether they be uh, castles, palaces, convents, fortresses, other historic buildings, Mm -hmm. um, 
throughout the entire country. Today, there's somewhere around 93 or 94 in literally every corner of Spain. They've got several in the Canary Islands. Um, and, and these are just like you'd experience in terms of your a private bedroom. You've got your own private uh, bathroom. The difference is you're staying um, in this uh, this historic building mm. that's just rich with history. Uh, just to give you an idea, one that stood out for Cindy and I uh, during one of our winter trips to Spain, we went down to Andalusia, mm-hmm. and we stayed at the Parador um, in Granada that actually is on the grounds of the Alhambra, and the building itself uh, was the uh, convent where Queen Isabella the Catholic <laughs> was buried um, after she died, and then when Ferdinand sub- subsequently died, they moved both, uh, in, they're, they're both buried in the cathedral at Granada. But to be staying, it's such a uh, historic place, but yet, you know, go and, and have a nice breakfast uh, <laughs> and, and just even tour the building was an experience. The, um, the, the, the one that we uh, stayed at, um, and along the journey, I mean, we're staying in a parador that was literally a pilgrim's hospital, mm. you know, centuries before. So for for us, it was just a rich, rich experience, both when we took our kids there, but then also along the Camino. Yeah, there are a handful of paradors on the Camino Frances in Santo Domingo de la Calzada, in León, in Via Franca del Bierzo, and and in Santiago itself, like right next to the cathedral. So which one did you stay in? Well, here's the deal with when I <laughs> negotiated with my wife before the Camino, she says, I am not staying in an albergue every single night. We're going to need to kind of break <laughs> this up along the way. And so we had kind of a working plan to say, you know what, how about every seven to ten days we'll take a break, literally take a break from the albergue and mm-hmm. we'll stay in a hotel. You know, we'd have our own room, our own bathroom, just kind of relax and uh, kind of reset ourselves for for the Camino. And so then as we were walking the first week or so, we say, wait a minute, we don't, we shouldn't have to stay in hotels. Let's stay in the paradors. <laughs> and so we did exactly that. We stayed in the first three that you mentioned, mm-hmm. Santo Domingo, uh, de la Casada, uh, in Lyon. Lyon was just, it, it, it's, it's a fortress. It's just uh, <laughs> unimaginable. But here we were, you know, staying in this historic building mm-hmm. that was actually uh, financed by King Ferdinand um, for pilgrims. And then the last one we stayed in was uh, Via Franca del Bierzo, which was really more of a contemporary-type uh, building. Mm-hmm. But each of those um, just allowed us to get a great night's sleep, uh, to, you know, have the privacy of your own bathroom. And we actually would take a shower at night and again in the morning because we could, which was great. <laughs> um, and then we also, um, the the breakfast buffet was just a sumptuous feast. I mean, we were used to cafe con leche and maybe toast. And here we had this this uh, great layout. So we, we stayed in three kind of a- along the way. Uh, we did not stay in the one in Santiago um, just because we had heard it was incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. To give you an idea, the uh, the ones that we stayed at ranged from 84 euros in Via Franca to 179 in Lyon, which is which is still not a bad price when you compare the states. But I think when we had done some research on Santiago, we thought that might be a little bit uh, too rich for us. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned the breakfast buffet because I have this this vision in my mind of um, the account that Jack Hitt gives in his book Off the Road of of being in the breakfast buffet at the Parador in Via Franca del Bierzo, and then the the shame that he felt when he um, was seen by uh, some fellow pilgrims <laughs> as he as he sat there, and you know there are some who would argue that a pilgrimage is about this this ascetic existence. You are just living with the basics and you're avoiding all of the comforts of home. Um, and whereas a parador sort of smacks of luxury. So how would you respond to that? How would you respond to someone who says like a pilgrim shouldn't stay in a parador? You, you know, we, we really embrace this concept that it's our Camino mm-hmm. and this, this was right for us. And this is what we needed. Leon was actually, we had, had walked 
all the way to Lyon and had not yet even taken one single rest day. Hmm. Um, and that's when Cindy was experiencing the pain. And so we uh, actually spent an extra day in Lyon so we could stay at the Parador. And what was great is uh, the, the, the people, the staff at the Paradors, even though we're walking with our backpacks and our gear and everything else, they welcomed us and they treat us like uh, every other guest. And so pretty, I mean, we were really at ease with the whole idea is uh, we're hiking our Camino. The Paradors are right for us. We spent out of 35 days on our hike, the only three times we stayed um, in a non-Albergue were the three Paradors. So we stayed in Albergues like 32 nights. Mm-hmm. Well, and we'd run into other pilgrims at some of these paradors too. In fact, we talked a couple <laughs> of them into looking at one. Uh, that's awesome. Well, I, I, I'm glad that you uh, you were able to craft the experience that you wanted, and that you can look back on that and just feel very um, at peace that this this was your Camino and that you got that. Yeah, absolutely. Will the two of you go on another pilgrimage together? Yeah, we're planning to go in the fall of 2017. All things good, right? <laughs> Same route again? We will. In fact, I, I started talking about it almost. We'd just barely been back here. And then Cindy <laughs> went to the doctor and found out she had two different stress fractures. And she says, I'm not sure. Um, along the way, by the way, some guy we ran into, for another pilgrim from France, told us about trail running shoes. Mm-hmm. And so... One of Cindy's Christmas presents, I bought her a pair of Solomon trail running shoes. <laughs> and um, so now she's her pain has mostly subsided. My uh, brother and his wife live in Montana, and they're talking about joining us as well. So right now we're planning October 2017, and we'll be their host and guides for the uh, Camino Francaise. That's awesome. We'll let the countdown begin. <laughs> Bob and Cindy, thanks very much for talking with me about your pilgrimage. Thanks. We we enjoyed it a lot. I've never walked the Camino or any pilgrimage or any meaningful distance with a family member. But I have walked with a group a number of times, and I've thought a lot about what makes for a successful shared pilgrimage. Here are a few thoughts. First, think ahead and come to some shared agreements about some of the mechanics of walking. Will you always walk together? Eat dinner together? How will you manage if it turns out that you have very different paces? Or one of you likes occasional long breaks but the other prefers regular short breaks. You gotta sort this out ahead of time. Second, be very clear on your intent. Do you want to fully immerse yourselves in the pilgrim community, making lots of friends and spending a lot of time as part of a larger group? Or do you really want to focus on spending the majority of your time together? And related to that, are private rooms a priority? Should you set some targets for balancing albergues with private rooms? If one of you is totally fine with cheap dorm beds, but the other one really enjoys the intimacy, the comfort, the privacy of private rooms, again, that's something that's worth fleshing out ahead of time. Third, don't take it personally if the other person needs alone time. We all do, and it can be hard to come by when you're traveling with someone else. Even consider whether you might spend an occasional night apart to give each other some space, some room to make new friends, and to return together with new stories to share. It's amazing what a little bit of distance can do to reinvigorate a conversation that may have grown stale. Most of those suggestions require good communication, particularly up front. While there are plenty of ways for a shared experience to go wrong, Today's guests make clear that the rewards are ample and well worth the effort. Have you walked with family members or loved ones? Share your stories and suggestions on the new Camino Podcast Facebook page. Again, that's facebook.com slash Camino Podcast. That's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks again for listening. 
Remember, as always, you can find us iTunes, SoundCloud, our new Facebook page, northerncaminos.com. You know, you can just make the rounds, hit all of them. Why not? Just see if it sounds any different from one site to the next. You can write us at communalpodcast at gmail.com. And stay tuned. Again, I'm hoping a bunch more episodes to come over the next few weeks before I head out for Spain. So lots of new episodes coming down the pipeline. That's it for now. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.